Welcome to The Teacher's Story. I'm Jackie Scully. This is a podcast to elevate teacher voice. In this program, you will hear teachers sharing their journey into this profession and their ideas for education. This is about honest, vulnerable, inspiring storytelling. It's a time and a space for teachers to share their ideas for the future of education. Teachers are beautiful beings who give their heart and soul to their community. They're innovators. They're inspirational, not only to children, but to the people around them and they deserve to share their voice. So welcome to The Teacher's Story. Enjoy. Hi, welcome to The Teacher's Story. I'm Jackie Scully, and today we have Genevieve Galvan-Fernez with us out of California. She's an English teacher, and she's an author of two books and children's books. And we will get a little taste of one of her um, newest books uh, later on in this conversation as she will read um, a part of that to us. So I'm very excited about that. Um, I'm really excited to interview you today, Genevieve, because you have a big heart. You really care about your students. The book that you recently published is a series of poems from your students during the pandemic. And I think that opens us up to really seeing the personal um, influence of the pandemic on kids, not just on teachers. So I think this will also be not only a story about you as a teacher, but about your students. So I'm very excited to hear about that. So thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. So my first question for you is what inspired you to get into teaching? Um, I think I was very fortunate to have really great teachers. I know that's not the case for everyone, um, but I remember being in kindergarten and being called up to sit on my teacher's lap to read a book with her. And I think I just fell in love with this idea of being in a classroom. Um, I grew up in the, I, I want to say mid seventies, and it was an open classroom where I went to school. So there were multiple grades in the same classroom. And I don't know what they did. They had to be very organized because <laughs> everything flowed and I never was bored. And everybody, we had aides that worked one-on-one with us, yet we were still getting our main lesson to us. And so experience from grades kindergarten to third. Um, I just remember always working at my own pace. I It wasn't like, I don't know if it was a charter school or what it was, but um, that sort of set the tone for me. Hmm. And then I also had great teachers during high school and in college. So um, I went to Selma High School and I don't know what it was when my when I was ready to graduate a few of my teachers called me up and said, have you ever thought about going into teaching? And I really never thought about it. But then I also had um, a folk dance class, which um, Mrs. Filgus ran at the time. And when she was gone, I was sort of in charge of the class of teaching the class. Mm -hmm. There was a sub there, obviously, but I was teaching the class. And it never dawned on me later that you know, she sort of put me in charge of this group. And I guess that was my first teaching experience. And so when, when I went to college, it just sort of, I guess, fit that I was planning to go into teaching. Um, I also had full professors. I went to Fresno Pacific University. It was college at the time. And it's a small Christian in Fresno, but wonderful teachers. And it's known for being a teaching school, which I didn't know at the time. And um, I think that's what inspired me. I just had great teachers and great experiences. And I was very fortunate because I know that's not the case for all students. 
um, but it sort of helped to mold me in terms of my teaching. Yeah, I love that. And I've heard this before from other guests where a teacher kind of put them in charge of the classroom because they saw something in them and they could trust them with the content, especially if they knew they were going to be out. And that kind of gave them a little bit of a taste of what it's like to to kind of be able to influence your peers and, and share like the content and get them like interested in it. And I love this idea of going to a school, a college where um, I went also to a college that's um, known for their education program and being very connected with like your professors. Because I think often people think, oh, I go to college, I'm just getting a degree, I'm getting the background I need. You know, if you go to a really big college, there's hundreds of kids in a class and you don't really know your professors. But I felt the same way too at my my school. Um, I went to Westchester University of Pennsylvania and I still am connected to that school today. But this is how important teachers are. So like you had a great experience because they saw you and you had one-on-one -on -one attention and you had teachers come to you saying they, they saw you possibly being a teacher and that influence stays with people. You know, maybe you go into that field or not, but I think a lot of times people can remember those conversations, even when they're in their, you know, older years and they look back to like their school you know, years, they were like, I remember this conversation I had with the teacher, like it just stays ingrained in your memory. And that carries a lot of impact. So I, I've heard this time and time again, I love that. And you're right, there's not a lot of people that have that. And that's why, you know, part of like, the work of this podcast and sharing, you know, these stories is to see these wonderful teachers connecting with kids, because there are many that don't really have that influence or maybe have a bad influence, but there's so many that do um, instill really good morals and values in kids and really care about them. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your early years experience teaching or any fun stories or how heartfelt stories or something you would like to share about that? Well, um, I was hired right after my student teaching year um, for as a Pacific and um, I was in charge of juniors and seniors. And so when you're 23 and you're starting off, you look pretty young. And I just remember being like having to dress older because I look so young and they would look at me and I would just think like, oh my gosh, this is going to be hard. But somehow, you know, I got through it. I just remember that um, when I first started off, there wasn't much in place for new teachers. And so um when I looked at the course outline, this wonderful teacher, Miss Paula May, she came up to me. She goes, well, we don't do that. And we don't do, do this. And we don't do this. And I was like, what do you guys do? Because this is what it says. And she said, well, it's just that, um, you know, a lot of this is outdated and it hasn't been updated. So she helped me along that first year. And I never forgot her help because every time there was a new teacher and I you know, I could extend myself to them. I was reminded of their kindness. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, in terms of starting out, I remember being like walking down the halls and being, you know, reprimanded by the security because I was out of class. <laughs> and I had to show them <laughs> my badge. I was just like, oh my gosh. I said, look, I'm a teacher. And they're like, oh, okay. Just had to check. <laughs> but I had very, I uh, really great experiences with my colleagues. Um, and, and, you know, it's always scary those first couple of years when you're starting off and then you're newly married. I, I was married the year before and it's just everything's so new, you know, and you just mm. sort of 
pull yourself along and somehow you get through it. But I, I've had good years there. So yeah, and this is really important, the message of like a teacher mentor, like you had another teacher who kind of, you know, uh, gave you some advice, because again, that doesn't happen at every school and not every place has maybe like an orientation or like a new teacher program. Some places do, but um, I was kind of the same too. Like I was like 22, 23 teaching seniors and it was crazy. Cause I, I looked younger than some of them. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. I mean, I looked like so young for so long and many of them even, you know, were 18 already. And so some of them were already like dating people in college. So I wasn't really far removed at all. Like I had friends around the same age. Um, but when you have a teacher kind of take you under their wing and say like, you know, here's the, yeah, there's the curriculum. That's what's on paper. But then yeah, that's not really what we do. Like you really <laughs> have to learn as you go. There is no yes. manual at all. Yes. And you do need that support from, you know, more veteran colleagues. And I think that's why it's important to, you know, for like us at, you know, our age in the years we've been in teaching, like I, I do the same now, I'm sure you do as well. When there are newer teachers, I really try to be there for them or if they come create a, like an open space for them to ask any question or feel like if they're flustered, that's okay. Cause that's normal. Um, and, you know, when you're really young, it's just going to be hard, you know, and you're going to need that, that support system, but that's great that you had that. It just sounds like you had this great support system as a student <laughs> and then you had it as a young teacher. So no wonder yes. you're still in the field. You're, you've had yes. these great um, communities. And, you know, that's, again, it's not the case for everyone because um, I know like, you know, I started, I think in 92 and they didn't have these things like FITSA and whatever it is, these programs for newer teachers where they have to do all these, I don't know if they have to do lessons or videotaping or whatever that they have to do now. Um, none of that was in place. So I know there are things that have developed over time to sort of help them um, to grow, but I think it's still important to have like one-on-one -on -one with a, a seasoned teacher to sort of guide them in what to do, what not to do, because the classroom is so different from, mm -hmm. I don't know, it, it doesn't show the whole realm of what you're going to be doing. So I think that that's sort of a struggle, you know, mm -hmm. but um, I don't know. I, it's always nice to have a mentor there. So absolutely. Cause again, it's a human profession and you can, you can learn all the strategies and pedagogy, obviously your content, but kids aren't robots. We're not robots. And like, you're engaging with people actually being pretty human, you know, cause kids are going to be kids. <laughs> so they're not, yes. they're not going to be like in the professional world, like how to be like, they're just gonna be like, well, I'm having a bad day. So I'm just going to show you all my hormones <laughs> or all my rage or whatever. <laughs> and you have to balance it out and you have like 30 of them in front of you and they're all yes. bouncing off each other. And that <laughs> does take like a veteran seasoned teacher to be able yes. to give you some advice on how to do it. And it, ultimately you just have to be in the game for a few years until you've really yes. got to figure out. And you feel it as you go. And it's a lot of um, manipulating like the environment, testing like mm -hmm. what works, what doesn't work in the moment. And you yes. have to be on your feet all the time. And now kind of moving to my next part, even more so in the pandemic, did you have to do that? So if you, before you go into the, the books that you published and your student voice that came out of the pandemic, 
um, share a little bit about what was that transition like early on um, as we were going into 2020? Um, you know, I remember leaving the classroom that day and then getting home and I was eating dinner and I'm looking, I'm like, what's going on here? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> and I'm looking at the TV and I'm eating and I'm like, and then we get this email, you know, from our school and everything's explained to us. And it was so like I was in a movie and it was so surreal that, you know, like, are you serious? Like, I feel like I'm in some kind of movie is happening to me. For sure. And so, you know, um, once we decided those first few months, I think it was, well, it was March to May or March to June. Um, we sort of scrambled to come up with something that we could do online. I don't remember what we did. And then the following year, when we actually started online, um, you know, we had everything in place that we had previously done, but just the way we went about teaching it, it was so difficult. I mean, mm. you just the attendance, doing attendance mm -hmm. during that time, I was like, okay, where are you? You know, and a kid would come in half an hour later. Oh, it's making breakfast. Sorry, Mrs. Prentice. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, at least you're here, you know, and then we'd get on with the lesson, whatever we could do. Um, but yeah, that transition was just so difficult. And then the things that were happening in these kids' lives at the same time, because they were dealing with it and families, you know, situations changing. Um, there was just a lot of, of movement and change. And I think just there was a lot of frustration too. But at the same time, I remember like our administrator, um, Dr. Pickle, he was really good about, you know, we'd have our meetings or whatever our meetings um, online, just encouraging us, telling us, you know, you know, it's okay, we're going to do this, you know, and everybody's really quiet. Um, and we're just, okay, but when is it going to be over? <laughs> I know, it went, <laughs> went on forever. <laughs> and it felt like, but, you know, that reminded us, I think, well, it, it reminded me that when I presented myself on the screen, that I had to be positive for them, even yeah. if they were struggling through it or they were barely listening because, you know, a lot of kids were tuning out or they were just depressed or whatever, because we were in lockdown, um, that you had to continually be positive for them just because mm -hmm. who knows what was going on at home or in their life situation. Um so that was one thing that I remember. Um, but yeah, that was a lot of a lot of uh, change in terms of how we're about teaching a lesson and modifying everything because mm -hmm. it seemed that when we gave a lesson that everything was too much for them, like yeah. overwhelming. Like what I thought was still condensed wasn't enough. Like I still had to condense it again. And after a while, I started to figure out that a lot of that was the, I don't know if it was just that it was too much on their brain taking mm. in everything. And then as we're giving the lesson, um, they just sort of struggle because we're looking at a screen. It's not like they're, even if I'm presenting material through the screen, it's still not. Oh, no, it's not real. <laughs> it's not real at all. It. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you're an adult. Yeah, when you're an adult and you are like, I'm going to take online classes because it's going to be easier. I mean, you're motivated in a different way. Not like when you're just forced yes. into it and you're in high school. Yeah. Yeah. 
and your brain was already, we talked a lot about like cognitive overload um, or cognitive load in general. And I think the cognitive load piece before even school started was just literally being a teenager in a pandemic as the world's shutting down and people are dying and getting sick and you're not seeing friends and you don't have social events and you're trying to figure it all out. I, like, as an adult, I couldn't figure it all out emotionally. I went even, I had to go and, you know, talk to a therapist and like, just get things off my chest. I couldn't imagine being like 13, 14, 15, so years old and doing that. And then being like, oh, and I have to do like eight subjects <laughs> online, Yes, you know, like all day uh -huh. long. Yes. How, how, how would you ever be able to do that? Like, we will never know what that's like you know, cause we didn't have that as teenagers. So like, I can't say, I know what it's like as a teenager to go through it. And I've never really been on the other side as a student besides being in some PD, which is totally different. So I, I tell them, like, I don't know what it's like. And I'm, I'm going to just guess that, you know, this is way harder growing up than it was for us. And I had mm -hmm. a student ask me that before. She's like, do you think it was harder for you or for me or for us? And I'm like, Oh no, it's definitely harder for you, but <laughs> I'm not trying to make you feel bad, and, but it's bad. Yeah. Like, it's like, this is crazy. Like this, yes. this happened like a hundred some years ago and it was, the world wasn't as complex even when we had a pandemic in 1918. So it's like, mm -hmm. this is <laughs> so you yes. gave them space to write. And mm -hmm. with that, they shared these beautiful poems from their, their space of what they were going through. And so can you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to do that? Um, and then how you started to collect these poems from your students and then get this book published. And then if you want to share a poem, maybe that stands out to you. Um, well, I, actually the poems, the poems were not from the kids. The okay. poems were my views of them. Oh. Okay. During the pandemic. And gotcha. even before, like I started this book, I want to say 2018. Okay. And I don't know what it was. I'm, I'm a very visual person. So when I see something, it sort of sticks with me. I can't get it out of my head until I write it down. And I started before pandemic. And when pandemic hit, um, I'm seeing this different image of a student um, only because I'm seeing a dot on a screen and I could never see their face. And yet I'm hearing their words. I'm hearing their voices, uh, mm -hmm. just a very different experience. And then I wrote also about when we came back into the classroom and how it was still different because then you had the social anxiety. Um, some kids were still depressed. Some kids just flat out, they were still in COVID mode where they, couldn't express themselves um and then this last set of poems were from this year mm -hmm. and I told my students this year that I feel like we're almost to pre-COVID times in terms of socialization and kids are taking on more they can do more they can express more which I love to see in the classroom and I didn't know where those poems were go, but once this year hit, I was like, okay, now I know how I'm piecing this together because mm. um, it just so, sort of shows the transition of kids before and then the lockdown and each stage mm. of where we were at in education. So mm. that's sort of how I took it. 
it's a beautiful way to collect um, a time period. It's like such a valuable primary source. Like I often, I'm a history teacher. And so, I mean, I relate to being in the humanities and we often talk about personal stories and narratives. Like that's usually how I teach history. And I say like, that's the most valuable primary source is listening to people's stories, whether that's in, you know, a poem format or how you're interpreting your students or diary entries. Um, mm -hmm. But you're capturing the emotion, especially when you write poetry from your viewpoint, you're capturing how you interpret the emotion and the change throughout this whole time period. So I think that's a beautiful way to um, honor them too, to honor your students. Mm -hmm. So would you, yeah. is there one you'd like to share? Um, I do have one. It's focusing more on the teacher. I don't know if you want one from the student or from maybe both if you're both? up for it. Yeah. Okay. Could hear the different uh, perspectives. I'm going to try and choose one from within pandemic because okay. <laughs> you'll see, um, there was one particular boy. Oh, he just struggled and I never saw his face. Even to this day, I don't know what he looks like. It, mm. So um, this was called Helpless. Mm -hmm. And let me go ahead and start. The meeting is set. The one boy who needs help logs on. A lonesome, enormous green dot in the center of my view emerges on the monitor. I greet him and ask, how can I help you? Silence. Again, I ask, is there something in particular that is hard for you? The green dots move as he begins to speak. It's too hard, the young voice whines. I look into the screen, hiding my concern. What's too hard, I ask? Everything, he sighs. What is everything, I think to myself. My heart beats faster as the anxiety increases in the deep recesses of my struggle to reach this student. I don't have a face to view. I have no prior background to understand. I have absolutely no means of knowing what this young soul thinks as he stares at me through a screen. I see the one dot peering at me, scope-like through a lens. By whatever year of teaching, I gather my varied thoughts and I remember compassion is the friend we need for my student and also for myself. Let's look at the prompt together, I suggest. He agrees. We'll start from the beginning and take each part slowly. And it's, it's the first of many beginnings to repeat themselves, sometimes in understanding, but many times filled with frustration for the lonesome one whose needs are vast and connections seem lost in more ways than one. We meet and re-meet, attempting to reach a common language, a connection, and a communication through a screen. Wow. That's the end of the first one. That's beautiful. It's, yeah, you can really capture this feeling of wanting a connection that's so human, but yet it's so hard to do through a screen, especially when you don't see a face and that I yeah, of not ever seeing a student's face the whole time. That's, it's just like, it hits home. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I had that experience. Um, I'm trying to remember 
if I ever had that where I just didn't ever saw a student's face. Maybe I only saw them virtually, but never in person. But that's like, you're trying to connect to a student and so hard, but yet hearing them and maybe like getting through to something. Um, I also was thinking about when you were sharing earlier with like no picture on the screen, but you could hear them speaking. And when sensory, when a sensory is taken away, so like visual, um, it makes the words or maybe the voice so much more present and you can pick up on any little thing, you know, um, or how something's said or like the emotion behind it. But yeah, that really paints a picture, Genevieve. That's beautiful. Um, you said you had one from your perspective? Um, yes, this is toward the end of the book and it's called A Teacher's Heart. And this is the one um, that will be in the uh, California Educator Magazine um, in the June, June, July issue. So um, this encompasses what I think teachers are. Mm. A teacher's heart gathers the remnants of each child. She takes the stories, the smiles, and many times the sorrows into the layers of a delicate organ her heart, to warm her and remind her that she is gifted by each child, making them an added blessing to her soul. Delving into the vast chambers of her heart, she finds everlasting joys, which surpassed exceeding obstacles and still remain strong. She witnesses the, ta the ragged edges of muscle, torn and battered in spots, where harsh words of meanness cause suffering undeservingly. She sees the strength of the fast-moving beat of the pumping blood as it worked for endless hours, unpaid and unseen. Her heart is a treasure, raising organ buried deep within her, holding its secret grail to serve children in only her way. It has grown a thousand times over since the first student stepped into her room. A teacher's love extends its encompassing experiences and its lifelong learning mode. Resilience and courage carry her through each year with a new set of students whom she chooses to love. Her heart with its cherished memories will be on enduringly in the lives of her students. Wow, that's really beautiful. Oh, I love that. It's just um, really capturing the dedication that teachers have to really give their whole heart to their profession. It's, that's what I think what makes it so special and why I also think mm -hmm. not everyone can do it. You know, when you hear people say, oh, anyone could be a teacher. Oh, that always like <laughs> grinds my gears. <laughs> I'm like, uh, not really. <laughs> you see the, all the people leaving, not saying like, not to like, people are leaving for right reasons too, because they have to, depending on their situation. But Yes. It's not for everyone. It is, mm -hmm. you need to have a very special heart. And so I'm so uh, happy to hear this is going to be featured in the, um, you said the California Educator Magazine? Yes. Yes. This summer. Oh, wonderful. Yes. That's great. What a great honor. Wow. Well, um, it's called Hearts in the Classroom, right? Your book with the poems. Yes. Yes. I will link that in the show notes um, and anything else that you want to share with me, I can link for anyone to look on Amazon and also look up your information on LinkedIn if they want to connect with you. But 
Um, beautiful writings, beautiful author. You're inspiring me. I am not a poet by any means, <laughs> but I do plan on writing my first book this summer. Oh, great. And, um, just want to write it from same thing from my heart and my own experience as a teacher, uh, but also like a personal story, because I think sometimes we put teachers on pedestals, which is great when we do that, because a lot of people want to knock teachers down too. But sometimes <laughs> yes. we're expected to be all holy and like know everything <laughs> perfect. And I'm like, oh no, oh no, we're not. We go through tons of struggle too. So oh, yes, I kind of want to paint the whole picture of, um, you know, the whole human <laughs> behind the yes. teacher. So yes, that, and I think that's important. Yeah. So people know that you can be inspiring, you can give your heart and you can still be going through a lot of your own struggles, whether that's mental health, whether that's addiction, whether that's family issues, whatever, yes. marital issues. Yes. It's and it it creates um this normalcy of that we're human first and mm-hmm. then our professions are profession, right? And so yes. I think the humanity piece is important. So um thank you because that's that's very inspiring to me. Um thank you. In this time do you see, especially coming out of the pandemic and like teaching now and maybe takeaways from the pandemic, what would we, like, what would you want to see really be the priority in education or what you'd like to see either change or how we move forward into the rest of the 21st century? Because it's usually like my main piece at the end is like, where where are we going now? <laughs> Well, I really feel this came out of the pandemic too. I know during, you know, our English department, we sort of decided to check on the kids here and there during, you know, when we were in our meets and I would have writing assignments then. And then when we came back into the classroom and I was seeing so much like social anxiety and things that, you know, now that I had them in front of me, I could see like, okay, something's still not right and just having them write about how they feel at times um and talking about like what do we do when we're stressed out what do we do when you know um we're just struggling mentally or whatever and the kids were so open to it i i told them you know i'm really proud of you guys for really being open about this because in previous years, I don't think anyone talked about those issues right. and for kids to really, well, they've told me repeatedly, you know, Ms. Furness, when you ask us about our mental health, how we're doing, it shows that you care about us, not so much about our grade, but about us. And I think we need more of that in the classroom, just here and there where we need to check in on them and I know there are things set in place, you know, we have social workers at the schools, we have psychologists, counselors, but sometimes it just takes, because we're in the classroom with them daily, that we need to reach out to them a little bit more than mm-hmm. we did previously. Um, because I, I, I don't think I realized just how much the kids take on. Um, what I thought was, oh, you know, you just get to school and you do your work and you you know, if you have homework, great. But that's another thing I stopped. I, I stopped doing homework. I, I I didn't assign homework after. For them, it was overwhelming. And I know there's like all this controversy. Oh, they need homework. And I do feel like they need some. But 
when I tell them, you, they'll tell me, oh, this is too much, Miss Vernis. I'm like, you know, all of that entire book that we read together in class, I said, that used to be homework. Like I used to assign that and the kids would do it by themselves. And I'd still have work on top of that. I said, so I said, you know, eventually you have to develop a little more stamina, but we'll still, we'll go slow here, you know? So I've learned to adapt in that way because I've realized that their, their brains get so overwhelmed now at times. And I know people will say, well, it's just an excuse that on not work. I don't think that's the case because no. the kids now I feel to do less, sometimes you get more out of them. Yes. And it's more quality than it is, okay, we're getting all of this. Yeah. Um, I, I've I learned that through all of this. And it, I feel like I get a better product in terms of what they learn versus the product of, okay, here's the final essay or whatever. The process of learning, we go slower and we break it apart and we really talk about it and they thoroughly understand it versus racing through it. And, okay, we got this done. Let's go to the next thing. Um, so I really feel like looking at them and, and really, um, just being more compassionate toward them as students. And that's one thing I would really like to see student our teachers do more, um, and also encouraging more new teachers to stay in the profession, because I feel like a lot of them are sort of just thrown into it. And then they're required to do all these other things now for new teachers on top of their first year or second year and maybe having some kind of like a mentor program where maybe seasoned teachers sort of sort of like a buddy system just check in mm -hmm. on them throughout the year because I feel like and I've been at my school forever it seems like but some teachers don't last they'll stay till December and they're like yeah I can't do this anymore you know <laughs> it's like where are you going yeah. um you know or I, I just feel like there needs to be more support for them, but more from, from the teachers themselves. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we want good quality teachers, but we have to extend ourselves too and, and show them or give them examples of things that we went through, you know, that might help to serve them mm -hmm. so that when they get in those situations, they can sort of help someone along too. Mm, I totally agree. It makes mm -hmm. me think that the another problem um is that when you put too much on people's plates it's not that they don't want to give like maybe veteran teachers don't want to give their time to a younger teacher but they're like so weighted down by other roles on extracurricular clubs committees everything and they're like well where do I have the space to do that so like say you have a mentorship program and these particular veteran teachers that maybe they volunteer because they really enjoy working with young teachers, you say, we're going to say, you don't have to do this stuff that you've been doing before, or like, you don't have to advise a club for this mm -hmm. year or do whatever, um, step away from that and let your extra thing outside of teaching be a mentor to a teacher. Um, mm -hmm. Because when you do that, you're making space for it. And I think a new teacher shouldn't have any other duties besides teaching, you know, besides maybe mm -hmm. they lunch duty or something, whatever is like <laughs> study hall, whatever. Yes. But like, I would say, don't be an advisor for a club. Don't join all these committees. Maybe go to the meetings. Your mm -hmm. job is to learn your craft and, mm -hmm. and work with a mentor teacher. 
And that should be like across the board in every school, like private, public, charter, is that if you're a new teacher and you want these new teachers who are energized and inspired, if they already went through a whole university program and student teaching and they're in it and they're ready to jump into a new job, they're energized. If you want to keep them energized, you need to focus on exactly what they need to do, which is like focus on the classroom and have, yes, have a mentor teacher with them. I think that's really important. And, you know, we do need to care about kids' mental health and it's not just about teaching a subject. I think alongside whatever your teacher training is, like I went into social sciences at the time, I probably got very, very, very little on social emotional development. I think that needs to be equal to you're learning the content of social sciences, 50% and about 50% is going to be like mental health, social, emotional. How do you build rapport? How do you build relationships? Mm-hmm. The kids want to know that you care about them. They don't just care that you're an ex. They actually don't care that you're an expert because guess what? They can go on Google. <laughs> They can go on Google. <laughs> yes. Now they can go on Chat GBT. Like Chat GBT is now the expert of everything. <laughs> and it's gonna take away teachers' jobs probably one day. Who knows? But oh at the gosh. end of the day, we're the humans and we're the heart. Mm-hmm. Chat doesn't have that. You know, Google doesn't yes. have that. So kids, they can have the social workers and the counselors that they see outside of the classroom. But when they're sitting in front of you, 40 minutes, an hour per day, five days a week, they're seeing you more than their parents sometimes. Yeah. You have to have a connection with them. (laughs) Like you, Mm -hmm. like you can't just be like, I'm going to be, you know, I'm not saying teachers really lecture anymore, but I'm going to be sharing and imparting all of my historical knowledge on you or just making (laughs) these activities and they don't care. Like they want to, they want to see that you care about them. You're asking about, like, spend like five minutes before class or right at the beginning saying like, how was your weekend? Tell me about this game coming up or like the play that you were in and blah, 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 you know, and, and just spending that little bit of time. And I did this over the pandemic and I want to start it up again. I kind of got away from it this year. I think we were getting back into like, everything was like social again. And then we kind of forgot some of the tools we used in the pandemic that actually were very helpful. Like I would do these Google mm-hmm. form check-ins at the beginning of class, like two or three times a mm-hmm. quarter and just asking them like, how do you feel today? What are some, you know, great celebratory things going on in your life? What are some challenges that you feel comfortable sharing? And this is just between you and me. And if I saw something mm-hmm. that was really a big deal, yeah, I might go to the counselor um, depending mm-hmm. on what it is, or I would just reach out to them. Or if it was like a celebration, I would reach out to them and say, oh my gosh, congratulations. You got an A on your math test. Like, yeah, I'm your history teacher, but I care what you're doing well in your other mm-hmm. classes. Yes. And that matters to them. I would have so many kids email back going, oh my gosh, thank you so much. You actually read through those Google forms. I'm like, well, yeah, I didn't just give, <laughs> I don't just give them to you just to make, <laughs> to make you do something. Like, because yes. a lot of times uh-huh. they're like, they just like to do it for themselves. They're like, oh, I'm just getting like yes. you know, my vent sesh on this Google form. And it's okay to lose five or 10 minutes of a subject area <laughs> just mm-hmm. to do that yes. stuff. You're not going to lose yes. anything. But yeah, we need to prioritize the relationship building. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know it's going to be. I know at the beginning of the school year, what has worked the last couple of years is having the students write me a letter. And I ask a few questions 
but I tell them it's solely between us two. It's confidential. I do have to tell them, it, you know, I'm a mandated reporter. So you tell me something like over the top there, I have to report it. Yeah. But most of them, they give you a little bit of information and some of them will flat out, you know, my dad lost his job. I'm wearing the same clothes from last year. I feel sort of awkward about that. You know, things that I normally would not hear from them, but they'll write it in a letter. It does give me some background to I love like that. where they're coming great, from. Yeah. And I've done that the last couple of years and I've kept those letters and I just, you know, I look at them and I'm thinking like, that took a lot for them to trust me. They don't even know me. Mm. And so it, it helps me in understanding the rest of the year as we go along, like how they respond, where they're mm. coming from. And just having that compassion for them um, and sort of, you know, just guiding them as best you can. I love that. But I know that's helped. That's great. Do you have them do something at the end of the year? Like, do they write you another letter and maybe see like how things have developed or changed or just give you feedback personally about how they enjoyed your class or you? Yes, I do have them do like, and I don't want to call it an evaluation but it sort of is just different units what we covered you know was it too much was it too little did you enjoy it how can I make it better those kinds of things that give them you know some some kind of insight and help me to understand how to be a better teacher because I tell them I said well you guys are on the receiving end so how did it work like was Mm -hmm. it too much was it too hard did I make it easy for you to understand because I'm very much into breaking things down for them so so that you know it works for them Mm -hmm. and most of them you know they're they have very good feedback for me so that helps me to be a better team that's great I love it you're very um you're just coming from a really heart-centered place and I feel like you're the kind of teacher a lot of students would want to have (laughs) yeah I would love to be in your classroom (laughs) Because you, you could, I could tell you really care about them and you're coming from such an authentic place. So thank you so much for sharing about your story and your background with us today. Well, thank you for having me. I totally appreciate it. And I've seen some of your other episodes and I'm just like, I just think that what you're doing is wonderful because, you know, teaching is one of those things that just sort of, everybody has an opinion on it. And mm-hmm. until you do it, you really can't say anything about it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it just takes <laughs> you really exactly. can't I mean you can't criticize unless you're doing it so yeah um, I I applaud yeah. you for for putting teachers out there and doing the positive thing with it yeah I just uh yeah they they get overlooked and a lot of their voices never really heard and um you know I actually I really do have I think quite a few people outside the profession that listen to it and give me feedback but that was part of my motivation. I mean, part of it was just to get their voices out there, but it's to give a little peek for other people to see what it's like and, you know, maybe kind of inspire them to to want to advocate, right, for teachers and advocate for education because I, I don't see too many people still wanting to advocate for education and it makes me really sad. I'm like, why? This is the future. <laughs> this is the future yes. of our country in our world are these kids like don't you want to like care about these kids so you know my my um what I would love to see not like 
whatever politics is politics and but i would love to see at one election cycle we are talking about kids we're talking about education <laughs> we're talking about funding teachers and schools and that's like one of the big priorities and i don't know may, maybe maybe it'll come up eventually <laughs> so this is my one little small part that i can do but it's um and i just love talking to teachers because they're wonderful people they have big hearts <laughs> and it makes me feel so good and it is positive you know even with the the issues that we have and the things we have to fix that it's it's just an inspiring profession so thank you for what you are doing and i will definitely plug your book um check out hearts in the classroom beautiful poems about pre during and post pandemic so thank you genevieve for thank coming you on today. so much yeah it's lovely you're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The Teacher's Story. If you like this story, please subscribe and leave a review. You can also follow this podcast on YouTube and subscribe and leave a comment. All reviews help this podcast keep going and elevating teacher voices.